Turn to your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Following hard after God. Following hard after God. Um, I want to read the whole psalm, and then I want to pray, and then move forward from there. So Psalm 63, um, I don't have that on the overhead, I don't think. I just have the first verse of, or actually middle verse of, I think it is. So let's read this. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you in on my bed, and I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind, or another version says, hard after you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. I want to encourage everybody here this morning. I want to encourage you to take this psalm home with you. I want to encourage you to take this with you in your time of prayer. And take it slowly. I want to say take these psalms slowly. And I want to share something with you this week. Well, I want to share a couple things. But one thought is this. Um, it's the history behind the psalm. Oftentimes we read the psalms and they do mean a lot. And they're packed with information to us. But the history will actually change the perspective and make it even more wonderful. And when we read this... What we do know is this, that this was a time when David was in the Judean wilderness. What we don't know for sure is, they said it could have been around the time when he was fleeing from Saul, or it could have also, and they said more likely, at least in the commentary that I was reading, that this could have been when he was fleeing from his son Absalom, who had taken the kingdom or overthrown the kingdom from him. But in either case, David was being chased out of. This is not a sanctuary psalm, if I could say it that way. This is not a psalm of just being in that secret, sweet place with Jesus and paradise moment. This is in the very difficulty and the throes of hardship that David is giving this psalm. It reminds me of the hymn, uh, It is well with my soul, and the tragedy that's wrapped around it and the beauty that comes out of that hymn. To me, it's the, it's, it's the most intimate place the human heart can experience with God. Oftentimes we wonder, why suffering? Because if we can translate suffering into my most intimate moments with the God who created me and that nothing is missing, my soul's needs are provided for. 
My happiest state I've ever had is when in most difficulty. I remember a, a very dear friend of mine had shared one of the times where he called his dry season. It was the most difficult season I would say in his life. But I remember him telling me what God did after or through that season was so powerful that he said, I wanted to go back. It would have been easy for me to go back. And I think that's what we're capturing. If you can, try to capture this in this psalm. God is not trying to reduce the oftentimes the, the circumstantial suffering, but the inward suffering of the heart and giving us the deepest gratifications that heaven can offer in those moments. And why not? Because if we're going to really look at God faithfully, we have to realize that God gets in human suffering with us. God is invested in it. Or otherwise, why would Jesus have died on the cross? In the most powerful way, God shows how He loves us in this. And this shows us how uniquely drawn to God that David was. Now I want to pray. Father, thank You. This, this is a special word. And I thank You, Jesus, for giving it to me this week. I thank You, Lord, that whatever this will do to benefit us in drawing near to You, God, not to ca capture ideas and thoughts, but Lord, what will it do to spike and uh, inflame our hearts? And I'm going to ask You, Jesus, all over this building, Lord, right now, that every soul here in Your eyes is remarkably precious. Lord, you said that the thoughts that you think toward us are more in number than the sand of the sea. God, if we could walk the beach today and examine every grain of sand and to think that every grain represents a thought, a single thought from the mind of God for us, for just even just myself, Lord, individually and corporately. But Lord, imagine how many thoughts go out in your heart for us. And so, Jesus, would you help us capture that reality? Lord, all I can say is today, there is something so powerful that we need from you. God, we can't do it on our own, but we're asking you in the moment of our weakness, Jesus, beyond our human limitations, that you would help us capture you today. Lord, reveal yourself to us and take us beyond the planes of our own struggling hearts so that we can know you, Lord, as much as you were meant to be known. And we know that you have no intent to hide yourself. And so, Father, would you peel back the layers? In the name of Jesus, peel back the layers of pain that have gotten in the way of seeing you today, Jesus. Would you peel back the layers of feeling like we're not worthwhile or, Lord, the sense of loss of purpose and help us see, God, the grander scale that purpose is just about to be made known in a very special way. God, would you help us? God, get beyond the carnal reasoning of our own mind and help us see you fully. Lord, engage you in spirit. Lord, we need it now. If ever we did, we need it now. So strengthen us today and we will give you all the praise. Make this psalm a very special psalm in everyone's hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Earlier this week, I was in here praying, and I remember about right there on that spot. I almost left a footmark there. I remember, it's kind of the agony of my heart and the desire inside of me. Lord, what's blinding me in the moment? 
I feel like I love you, but that's not enough for me. How many of you would say you feel like that too? I love you, Lord, but that's not enough. Every day is like this fresh, kind of like I just sat down and ate, but I forgot what it was like, how full I was from the last meal. I got hungry again. And I hope that's every one of us here, that we get hungry for Jesus on a constant basis. I've said this before, but I, I do believe that only God can satisfy you and make you desperately hungry at the same time. Do you know what I mean by that? Only God can satisfy you and make you completely hungry at the same time. Like as if I want more and there's an insatiable love for God and it not be an addiction. Isn't that wonderful? It is a kind of addiction if you want to call it, but not like the world calls or what we call addictions. It is this abundant, I was made for this. I was made for this. And, and you know, when you're on the outside of it, you don't know what you're missing. But when you get on the inside of it, and I, I love that old song, one glimpse of Him in glory will all the toils of life repay. But I would like to say my experience has been sometimes a glimpse of Him in glory on this side of eternity has left me feeling exactly that way. Lord, I don't feel a burden on my heart. I don't feel, uh, I, I don't feel anxious. I don't feel like um, I'm worried about tomorrow. And I'm absolutely in the moment, intrinsically satisfied by your love. And I don't want to leave this moment. I don't want to lose, lose this. And I want to say, I think every time we come anew and afresh to Jesus, it's like we're coming and saying there's something unique. And so I'm led to these kinds of psalms. Psalm 63 is one of them for me. And there's many other psalms that are similar to this. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul after you. And I just like stop there. Because there's something for me, oftentimes I feel like I feel like I'm there, but I'm on this level. But I want to be on this level. And if there's a level higher than that, I want to go there, Lord. But I don't know how to get there on my own. And I feel like that's where it's going to be a test. Do you really believe the grace of God is there for you, not on the basis of your performance or your works or that you are worthy, but right now in this moment, God says, I will accept you freely and all I'm requiring is an open heart to get into your life. And so what I was beginning to think about, Psalm 63 is not a progression, but it's a revelation of something that I, I want in my heart and I'm gradually getting to know more and more. As I can walk through the years of my life, and I'm sure, I imagine many of you, if not all of you, can do the same thing. And you can say, this was a landmark moment with Jesus. This is where the Spirit of God met me. This is where the power of God touched me. This is where the love of Jesus satisfied me all the way through and through. And I have been universally changed from that day forward. And I cannot forget how that felt for me. You know, there's a lot of things, experiences in life. They're so wonderful or so uh, scary, in a sense, that you cannot forget those experiences. But I think the ones that God leaves with us actually leave a deeper impression on our soul than any other one. That's my, from, from my, <laughs> this is James's interpretation from his subjective experience as far as it is. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that many of you, or if not all of you, would confirm the same thing. I love the way this begins. He says, oh God, You are my God. 
Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Did he say this in a way that satisfies the language of your heart toward God? There's a poetic beauty, as it were, to the romance, spiritual romance of our soul with God. My flesh longs for you. I don't have to have made a, a, a moral blunder, as it were, to get to this place. I can be spiritually alive and still feel like my soul longs for God. As a matter of fact, I honestly believe that the people who are closest to God have the deepest longings for Him. And so you hear Him saying this, My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Essentially, if you come from this Judean wilderness being uh, chased out of the palace, pushed out of the kingdom, and now he's being chased and his life is threatened, and David is still saying this, it's worth taking a note for. Man, it's got my ear this morning. And, and this morning as we were praying in our prayer closet, I just felt like the Lord was bringing us together. There's something so wonderful when we pray together, when we feel like our hearts are charged with love for Jesus. It's amazing because somebody ignites the flame, right? Whether it's prayer or it's something else, but somebody ignites the flame. Sometimes it's fellowship. And they're saying something or they're praying something. And, and, and you feel like, kind of like a, you're kind of a smoldering uh, coal, as it were. And then somebody prays something or somebody says something. And then you feel the ember starting to redden. It's like the wind of God's Spirit hits you. And now you're feeling a little bit hotter. And the Lord continues to intensify and crease that. Sometimes while we're alone and oftentimes when we're together. And it means so much. And it, you leave a room a whole different person. A whole different person. I still can't get over. Um, I still can't get over. And this is not me trying to tell you to go to the prayer in, in 9 o'clock. But this is me saying I've been satisfied with it. And I want to share it. And I want to testify God's goodness. I remember I came out of there and I was physically worn out, but my spirit was so charged and alive. So charged and alive. And what I would say is this. I feel the most tremendous love. This is transcendent love of God getting in James's circle. And I, I trust that you have felt the same thing. If not, I'm, I'm preaching this sermon to inspire you to expect God to do the same. The kind of transcendent love that if you had, if you had, if I had felt hatred for you a minute ago, I would have, I would have felt the stark contrast to that after this moment. God does something. He deposits something inside of us. And I did. And I, I remember as I was walking through the hall and I was coming toward the back here and my wife met me in that moment and tears are coming down my eyes and and I'm struggling, to, I'm struggling to breathe and I don't know hardly how to compose myself. But I'm so full of this, the presence of God and so f full of the satisfaction of that that I don't want to break that moment. I don't want to lose that moment that I'm sharing with the Lord. And I have nothing but struggle to say it in words. But I could say this, nothing on earth is like it except for God is there in that moment. And each one of you become 
intensely more precious to me when God does that. People that are not here become intensely more precious to me in that moment. I am equipped to not have, um, to not take things so negatively. I'm quick to embrace where I couldn't before. And I love that time with the Lord. And I, I want to think that this is what the psalmist was saying here similarly, that I, I come thirsty where no water is because when you've been satisfied by the Lord and you feel like at the moment you're not where you were, you just want to go right back to where, where Jesus was in that moment. As we read these words, we are catching David's satisfaction, not David's satisfaction with God. Not that it's not there, but that's not what, when you read it, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying I'm satisfied, but he's, he's actually expressing that he has a deeper, more passion for God. We have some of our songs that express that. That's why I believe worship is powerful, because songs express what we feel in the moment. More love, more power. That's one of those songs that we can sing. More love, more power. And man, do you get into the song because that's your moment with Jesus. Lord, more love, more power. And I, f- I feel like Jesus does this. He doesn't satisfy you. He creates a hunger and then He satisfies you. See, people that are not hungry for God stay unsatisfied. But it's the people who hunger for God that get satisfied. So don't think it's strange when we're in situations and we're feeling like we're dry and we're feeling like we're missing the mark and we're wondering where God is. And in that moment, don't miss what's happening. Don't miss what God is doing. He's stirring you. He's bringing you to a place that nothing else on earth will satisfy you. Even sometimes the sufferings wrapped around you, you should have a new perception of and look at it like this. If God wanted me to be attached to this world, He'd let the world be satisfying to me. But because it's not, even sometimes health issues are a reminder of how much more we want to embrace the kingdom to come. Something powerful about Paul when he says... um, He's groaning earnestly to be clothed upon with his house from heaven. He's earnestly groaning to be with the Lord. And he pens these words that makes us wonder, where am I at? In the light of being in prison, in the light of being persecuted, this apostle is not just trying to run from it, but he gathers everything within his background and he presses it toward knowing God. Knowing God. We have a lot of evangelism and TV preachers that are trying to tell us that the only way you're going to be satisfied is with a miracle. I'm going to say the only way we'll ever be satisfied is when we absolutely love Jesus more than anything. Then you'll be satisfied. Because you can be rich, you can be healthy, and you can be a pessimist all along along that road. And so all of that, and or you can be thinking that life is all about what I get here on earth. You know, really the truth is, just like James says, our life on earth is like a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. I was so blessed. The person is not with us today. I was so blessed by somebody who'd shared with me earlier this week, and they said, I've been I've been preparing a prayer closet and a prayer time with Jesus. And I've been struggling through that. And I tell you, 
that I, I heard them say, I'm struggling, but me? I was ready to leap out of my seat and jump for joy. I was like, that's the beginning of a, of a discovery of a treasure that gets better and better as you go further down that road. Don't you give up. Don't you let anything get you out of there. God, that's where He wants you to be. See, we're not used to being vulnerable, are we? We're used to, our world tells us, you go get a job, you go make your money, you go, you go do this, you tackle this. Anything you think you can do, you do it. And we're all of a sudden forced in our culture to think, I can, I can, I can. And God is not saying you can't. He's saying without me you can't. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and enables me. Man, I haven't got past the first verse. So I want you to think about something because I feel like this is a huge thing. I've been thinking more and more about do Christians really believe the Bible? Do we believe it? And some I would say, many I would say, are on a surface faith. In other words, as a kid I went to Sunday school so I believe it because it was told to me. They, have, they do not know why they believe it. They just know that that's what's said and I guess it's true. So I believe it. And I think when we're addressing faith, we have to go much deeper than that. If we're going to be able to say, why do I believe this? You're going to have to go further than it's just said so it's true. Now, there's definitely things in our world that 2 plus 2 is 2, 2 plus 2 is 4, and that's not changing. Now, I know the culture is trying to change. Eventually, they're going to change that. I'm surprised they haven't made it to the mathematical law. But the culture is going to try and change that because they're already trying to confuse us about our gender and whether we're men, women, uh, or whatever else. I don't know. But the reality is this. It's a fixed law within the universe as God created it. You can't change it. So yes, I'm, I'm not going to say that you can go any deeper than that fact when it comes to those things. But oftentimes when it comes to why I believe what I believe, we're going to have to go deeper. And so there's... There's this thought here is that we have to, at, at the basis of everything we believe is usually an axiom or a principle. And I just, an overview of this, I'll give you the dictionary definition for both of those. Axiom is a state or a proposition which is regarded as being established, accepted, and self-evidently true. If we do not have self-evident truths, we have no truth at all. We have to have a basis for which we actually uh, derive most of our views on things, there has to be a self-evident truth at usually the base of it. Now, whether you reflect on that or not, I don't know. But it's true that no matter you're acting on it, whether you reflect on it or not. A fundamental truth or proposition that serves, so a principle is a fundamental truth or proposition, so similarly as an axiom, that serves as the foundation or a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. Now, God put this in place. That's why when we reason things out, we actually reason from some kind of a base as far as that's concerned. So when I look at this psalm and I think about this, David is, he is standing on a principle at work. How do you know that? Because the outward environment isn't inviting him to look at God this way. 
Can I say that one more time? The outward environment that he's in is not inviting him to see God this way. Not on a normal human perspective. Not on a normal plane. So David is looking at God through another lens. And there's a principle at work in which God, David is looking at God. In other words, God isn't always um, affecting me in a certain way for me to feel that way. In other words, I come oftentimes looking or seeking the Lord feeling dry. But why am I still coming? Because there's a principle that I believe as to why I should be coming to begin with. So there's a trustworthiness to the nature of God. So if we were to say God can do anything, we would be wrong in some ways. We would be wrong because we could say God cannot sin. So that's something He can't do. So there's things that if we don't know more than just the surface truth of it, we will never dive in deeper with God. So this is a, this is a uh, thing that I come in view of constantly. I'm always examining for myself, and it's this one thought. God is in control. Now, I'm going to give you two definitions, and I want you to think about both of these. I don't know how you think of that, but oftentimes we don't think it on a broader term, but this is really important. Number one, the definition, God has absolute control, so much so that free will is suspended or terminated. So that whatever, either good or bad, pure or evil, is directly controlled and willed by God. Did you hear that? That's the first definition. Some people actually see God, or they can't help but see God through that lens. That must be that God, if He's in control, or if He's sovereign, He has to be so in control that you cannot act any way that you would prefer or choose apart from Him making or forcing you to act that way. Well, the issue that we have is with the rest of the Bible. Because it says, God does not tempt any man with evil, neither is He tempted with evil. Every man is drawn away of his own lust. So it separates our lust from basically the picture of what God is in control of. This is really essential when we start coming to this place, God is in control. Because then otherwise, God is the one willing and deeming the babies before they're even born are butchered from the womb. All kinds of atrocities and evils God is actually in control of, and we would say that was within His nature. But none of us can do that. We'd demoralize the nature of God, and not one of us would serve Him under that condition. So when we say He's under control, there's another facet to this. And I think the reason why people hold this idea is because they cannot help if any other way would mean that I would be limiting the a power of God. I would be limiting and saying He can't do whatever He can do. He's omnipotent, but He can't actually be omnipotent. But I, I want you to think a little bit more deeply on this. Second definition. God has absolute sovereignty. We will say this. That He could do whatever He wanted. But He has on his own authority, limited his intervention so that free will can exist. He acts upon mankind with persuasion, as far as we're talking about morally, and not with force. 
So in the world, when there's a miracle done, God does it by His power and His force. But morally, He does not force us into compliance. But when we say that He's in uh, sovereign in it, that He's sovereign in that He's managing the persuasion in our lives. He's building persuasive reasons and things around us to capture our ideas to it. But yet, uniquely, He's chosen to limit Himself. And I want to give you this thought because when I think of this, I, this would be my illustration to hopefully help us grip, grip onto this idea. If you believe the second, would be this. As a father, oftentimes with my kids, I want something in particular for them. But I'm not acting on them in such a way as to force them to do it because I value that they were going to make the voluntary decision to do it with value back to me, honoring me as their father. So I want more than compliance. I want more than just digital uh, information or digital lifestyle coming out of that. So because of that, when I'm trying to influence them, I'm trying to persuade them with their own logic, trying to persuade them with their own reason, but I'm also limiting what I could do. So I could force them, but it wouldn't be with it wouldn't be the moral it wouldn't be with the moral beauty that I want it to be in. So um, I choose not to, not because I can't. But that doesn't mean that I don't see myself in the control of my behavior, directing them, and that I will hold them responsible so far as they have the moral ability to know right and wrong because I've already God has already put that in them. So when they make, the, they make the mistakes or they commit sins against me as their father, or if they do, or disobedience, I'm not at fault for it. I'm not at fault for it because they have a responsibility on top of it. But what I would be at fault for is if I didn't give the persuasion necessary, even if they would reject it. Now, why do I say that? It's because... When I took time in this room, I started thinking about, Lord, well, later on in, in chapter 63. And let, let me throw this out there before I get there. I, I want to get ahead of myself and I don't want to do that. The first one, basically, if you believe the first one, here's the problem. God, if God controls everything, even me, without my ability to decide, the struggle is my struggle to be to please God or your struggle to please God and to love God doesn't make sense. If God is controlling me, why don't I have a deeper love for Him? Why am I not naturally just drawn? Why doesn't God force me into loving Him more? Isn't that His will? Otherwise, He's He's creating, He's wanting me to be evil and He's choosing me to be and He's choosing somebody else not to be. And some people are actually clouded by that. They really do believe that. So also the person who believes in the first one, they're mistaken oftentimes in that they're waiting for a spiritual zap from God. In other words, they're waiting for God to undo what's wrong in their life. And they're just, when are you going to do it, Lord? I'm waiting. There's going to be a spiritual bam. What they're not paying attention to is God is wrapped around every one of their circumstances. God is not outside of your life. He's in every aspect and detail of it. You just don't see it. They fail to realize also that God is intervening 
but that their heart is in a hardened state and unwilling to be wooed into, instead of forced, into union with God. So when we are expecting God to force us into union, we're going to miss Psalm 63. you got to hear what I'm going with that. Why I'm, I'm saying this? Because some people are waiting for that big spiritual experience to hit them, whether they're praying or not. They're just waiting for the Holy Spirit. And there are times when God grips you, unintended in the day or work or whatever the case is. But I don't think that it's without, is in dishonor to the, your will at heart. So in other words, God knowing the heart, oftentimes we're not acting in his direction, but we're longing to go in his direction. I've done that many times when I was a kid. I wasn't doing what my mom and dad had told me to do, but I felt like I should, and I would have been persuaded in the right circumstances. God knows the heart. You got to remember that God knows the heart. That's why oftentimes it's like, Lord, it's amazing that you were still working even though I was acting in opposition to you. And God was like, Well, because I knew that ultimately drawing you in this way, you would have come there. I knew how to get your heart to come. God governs through persuasion rather than force. So this second one, if you believe it, that is that you are you're standing on this axiom that there is free will, and God has limited Himself. To what degree, we don't know how to define. But we do know He has, or we wouldn't see the world as it is. And as this axiom serves as a basis for which a Christian looks at God, it enables them to capture how God is at work rather than blinding them to it. And this is essential. People don't pray and they don't seek God because from their circle, they don't feel Him. They're not aware of Him. They're not realizing where he is in the moment. As far as they're concerned, he's in the cosmos somewhere, and we don't know how to drag him down from heaven. So it's an absolute struggle in their situation. And Paul describes it well, O carnal man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? There's this carnality, this flesh, that gets in the way of God. And so the flesh doesn't discern the things of God. In my natural state, I don't capture it. Uniquely woven how God works in these situations. But when we begin to realize there's principles that we operate on, aside from what it feels like, we're waiting for God to do what He said He would do when we get in and we start acting on what He said on a principle basis. Oftentimes, not always, but many times. So I want to share a story with you on this. Um, I might embarrass my wife just a little bit. But it was... It's a great story, and I think it's a great illustration of what I'm talking about. It was her. It wasn't this last birthday. It was the birthday before. Will you give me permission to share this one for fun? Good. Um, I wanted to surprise her for her birthday, and um, her her mom and her sisters were going to meet us in Haynes at the steakhouse. Great place to eat too. So if you want a great meal, it's it's well worth it, and. Um, I didn't tell her that they were planning this. I didn't tell her that any of that was happening. So I kind of, I told her, I said, I want to go out for a drive, the family, all of that. That's how I tucked in this little secret thing. And I guess you could say I was lying, but I don't think that I was sinning. <laughs> I, I was hiding information. I wasn't lying. But anyway, I was, I was doing this. And so I, uh, I sent her out. I, and we went out as a family and we drove out. And, and so we start heading out town. She's like, where are we going? Oh, well, I'll tell you later on. 
But the further we got to Legrand, the more difficult this was for her to see. She didn't see what I was seeing. She didn't know what I was doing. I got her in my car. She was going with me. She was in right there alongside me the whole time. But she didn't know. And then as we, she, she thought she had an idea when we got to Legrand, but once we got on the off-ramp to go head toward Baker City, every hope in the world had escaped her. And then she was saying, honey, we can't be here. We're going to be all night. We didn't pack clothes. We didn't pack nothing. What are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, well, I just, uh, I don't even remember what I was telling her. But even when we got there, I was kind of hiding it. And we decided to go into the steakhouse because we needed to use the restroom. The whole time, she's not realizing. And the moment she walks in and she sees her mom and her sisters, and this is the moment of celebration, it all became clear. Don't you think God is working in your life? He's providentially working the circumstances while you're too blind to recognize. While you're not even willing, you or me or any of us, we're not even willing to take time to pray and say, Lord, would you let me in on a little bit of this? You know, the, the, the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus along the, all along the ride wants to let us in on if we are going to act on the principle that he's not just controlling the events around me. He's trying to get me to see that he's persuading me in a certain direction. So when we learn that God is providentially and persuasively working in the outside influences that place demand or pressure on our conscience and life, then, once we see that, that God is working on the outside. So this is when I realized this, when I was praying here and I was looking for God. It was like, Lord, I feel like you're there, but I'm kind of on the outside. And maybe you're, I'm realizing you're, gonna, you're doing things. So I'm asking, Lord, right now, would you help me get closer to you? Jesus, would you help me? Uh, I, 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 I want to pray, but I don't know really what to pray for. And I know you know, and you can advance me. Help me move. I need your strength. I need your mind to enable me. So essentially what I'm saying is I'm gripping on to this idea. And then once we realize that God is on an outside because we're not ready for him to work on the inside, so to speak, then we can postulate. We can assume that when we yield to the conviction of our conscience in unity with God alerting it, then we can say at some level, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. But we're going to say it at a level. What I mean is, is that this, this, this word here, if you understand it, it's not a, this is, it, this is the top or this is the climax. It can continually grow and increase and intensify in our lives. So as I'm yielding, as I'm realizing God is doing things and my conscience, I've been avoiding and I've been resisting and that's my flesh, on, and God's on the outside working in. Now I'm realizing that, and every ounce of that I'm starting to capture. God's actually been working in that thing that I've been mad and saying the devil's been doing the whole time, or something like that, right? And so now I begin to suggest that God is in more in my world than I realize. He's just not forcing me into compliance. And so then that grips my conscience, and I become in unity with God as He's alerting it. So then when I begin to that place... I'm kind of like at a different, I'm at this level and I feel like God is touching me and I feel that the, the Holy Spirit animating a truth in my heart. But I feel like that it can go another level. And so this is the first place 
from the outside that God gets to get in. So then I'm moving to the second level, as you so to speak. I'm moving beyond that stage because I'm wooed into that presence and I become more hungry for God and I'm realizing an inward way, not an outward way, that God is actually getting in on my space and He's sharing spirit to spirit. Now, I had somebody say to me not too long ago and it really caught my attention. They said, I hear voices in my head, but I feel like it leads me in a good direction. I think it might be God. And I said, uh, actually, God doesn't speak in your head. He speaks to your spirit. That's how you know. It's not a head voice. It's a spirit voice. Now, I intellectually understand it, but it's spirit to spirit because the Bible says he witnesses with my spirit. That's the difference. Now, how do I describe it to you? I don't know. I don't know how to describe it in the moment, but I know that that's how God speaks to us. So then when we go from there, then we then can unlock the door. We've unlocked the door of our hearts to God. That's the thing that has to happen to work in an inward way, which generally happens in a protracted process. In other words, it continues to increase or get bigger and better. So on her last birthday, um, we... No, 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 no. It was it was a few birthdays before that. I remember I was trying to do another surprise. How many of you men know that your wife has special, unique ways to love her that she likes and enjoys? She likes surprises. She, it bothers her, but it, she likes surprises, and I, I love that. I love that beauty to her. But I, in this one, I had invited three friends to come at three different times of the day, and she didn't know about any one of them. And so the first one shows up, and they're going to take her out. And it made, I would say, it would have made her birthday very special to have one friend show up. But the second friend intensified the magnificence of that birthday. By the time the third friend came around, she didn't know what in the world was going to happen beyond that. And so she was filled with the joy of her birthday and those, essentially those friends bringing new facets of pleasure and enjoyment and recognition through her birthday. Now, I think God is doing the same thing for us as we open our hearts to Him, as we intensify in our interest and draw to Him. And then we can say, as the deer pants for the water brooks, my soul is panting for You, Lord. I'm longing to be close to You, Jesus. I feel the weight of my own frailness constantly drawing me down. And I need You. Today as fresh as I did yesterday. That's never changed. Just even more so. Then you continue to see this increase throughout the Psalms. And I think also deeper and deeper stirrings result from greater advancements of heart surrender to God. That's all it's all about is heart surrender. In other words, the more a Christian yields to God, the less restrained they will be in hearing and receiving from Him. The more a Christian yields to God, the less restrained they will be in being able to hear and receive from Him. Hear and receive. So then I, I realized while I was thinking about this, it's like a funnel. God at the top is far more greater, but we're too limited in our capacity in the moment to receive Him. Because we're not surrendered or we're learning to surrender, but we're widening the gap of the funnel so more of God can be filtered into our life. And that's why Jesus would say something like, without me you can do nothing but that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So the weight of your emotions, it's easier to just not get emotional about things because we're drawn to the faithfulness 
and establish, how do you establish faith? This is the only way. Because when I read something at face value, you can't make me believe it until I am absolutely satisfied that there's no way that that cannot be true. And so I'm drawn to the truth of it because I'm, I'm now yielding to the Lord inwardly. And so when I read a Bible verse, and that's why we've said over the years, certain Bible verses will become greater and bigger to you. And now the revelation out of that verse, when you were first born again Christian, you didn't see it like that. But now it's vastly greater than you'd ever dreamed of before. And what you realize is there's an infiniteness to the Word of God. So he says now he continues this language as it's just a part of the expression of his heart and his depth for God. It's because of your loving kindness. I love this in verse six, verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. And then Psalm 63, 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you. What did you notice that happened both those times? What do you notice? Both those verses. Praise. He's ignited to praise. Now, I'll say oftentimes, like we did earlier, like, okay, can we get a louder amen out there, right? Actually, can I get an amen? Good. Um, I say it louder, but really what I'm trying to do is, is say, consider, uh, consider giving your best praise to Jesus right now. Consider shouting to the housetops the depth of what you have in heart, but we're struggling to be able to have that. So essentially, we're providing in a service an atmosphere so that can increase. It's important to capture the reflection of the truths that I had shared with you before in light of these verses. David had learned to be wooed to God through his banishment from the palace. This is why a reflection on Christian character is that you should be able to stabilize. You should be flourishing when you're in the desert in life. In maturity. Not every Christian can under the circumstances, but as you mature, you should be able to flourish in any circumstance because you're living inwardly with the Lord. So the outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And this kind of psalm is birthed out of an inward life-giving relationship to God. You do not get to this place you never get to the place where you write, where you can pen, you can express verbally or any other way to this kind of degree until you've been saturated and living near the Lord. It's the only way it can happen. So a lot of people feel like it's mysterious. Uh, they might look at other Christians and they're like, and I would say, imagine today the, the, the Christian that's of the height of spirituality as far as you're concerned. You're like, man, I wish I could be half of, I wish I could be close to. Yes, forget, forget, in a sense, forget them. Realize that Jesus set the basis for every man, woman, and child. If you will open your heart, I can get in. Every one of them. So that what we're really realizing is 
when there seems to be an absence of God, there is a hardness of heart that banishes him from doing it. Not because he doesn't have unlimited resources beyond anything you've ever known. It's because he's given you an opportunity to choose. Pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. And we see in David's case, so this is interesting because the thought that I had, and I still have to spend more time with, but this was one of my thoughts. How does God maintain a, a sovereignty and control in a world that's running rampant after self-will? How does God manage the universe in that way and give so much liberty, so to speak? I can't give you a full answer. But I can say when I look at David's life, and let's just suppose that this psalm comes out of his running from Absalom, what we find is this, is that David's, in David's case, Absalom's wickedness was limited. In other words, Absalom couldn't do that unendingly. And God had only limited it to a certain place. I think it's to allow for grace, for salvation, or for repentance. And that it prevailed neither in perverting David, not preventing, perverting David, so it didn't get him perverted, it didn't make him wicked, it didn't make him evil, or it did not keep him from resuming the throne. In other words, the, the will of God, the ultimate will of God, was not ruined as a result of being sidetracked by Absalom's wickedness. That's sovereignty. That's an amazing sovereignty that I don't have to force you into compliance, but that I will woo you into compliance. And David, all the time he's in the wilderness, is experiences his sanctuary moment with God. And that's really important for every one of us. I get to experience sanctuary moments with God no matter what. I don't have to wait for my life situation to change so that I can get enveloped in the love of Jesus. Not at all. Not at all. I was, con I was, con I was profound, profoundly uh, drawn to this thought when I went to Bible school. I would see different brothers come from different venues of life and some of them, were, they're almost fresh off the streets, but they found their way to Jesus and they were like fresh out of the oven, so to speak. And I saw others that had been, had been in Christian environments for a long time, but they hadn't caught on to what the Lord was doing in their life. And what I watched was this. It didn't matter how early they were in, in, on the onset of coming to Jesus or how long they had supposedly been a part of Jesus' life. It was What I saw was a stark difference between one and the other was their devotional life for Jesus right off the get-go. Whether they got it later or they got it right then and there. And I would see I would see brothers transform like it was like all of a sudden you've got four years of maturity in in uh, one um, school season. They sought Jesus with a passion that never ended. They really truly loved the Lord, and God gave them the kingdom as a result of it. It's like saying to you, brothers and sisters, there's a spiritual bank account for every one of us to tap into. You have gotten what you chose, because God has more for us. We are exactly where we chose to be. But that is not to say, because you're where you are, that's where God wanted you to be. That's where you are because he's given himself openly as you open your heart more. That's what this psalm is all about, is opening our heart further to receive from the Lord on from more of him. So when I look at the last part of this verse in verse 8, or the part that stands out to me the most in verse 8 is this. David kind of sums this whole thing up in verse 8. And he says, My soul follows hard 
after you. My soul follows hard after you. And I've come to the realization, I think this is James's experience, but when I feel like my soul is at its, its hottest moment for Jesus, I didn't just land there by a quick flick. It came as a progressive but intensified reality. And the quicker I responded to God, the quicker I got there. So I would say this, that the advancement in moving forward with the Lord, it getting to the place where your soul follows hard after God, where you are really a hot pursuit for Jesus and it stays there and maintains its ground and you continue that course, it's really from the place of God is on the outside working in. Am I going to open the door? When I open the door, how quickly do I let Him further into the spaces of my heart? And the ones you have to pay attention to are the ones that you struggle the most with. That's where Jesus gets in there. One of the struggles that I have struggled, I've had in life is the struggle for acceptance. People are out there. I'll try and close here quickly, but the thought is the struggle to be accepted. And I remember the Lord had showed to me, especially kind of throughout different times in ministry, I would get so frustrated because I felt like I had discouraged and made things hard on people. And I probably did because I was acting out of my own fear of being accepted. And I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that's what's in the way of me getting in your life right now. And it changed the whole perspective of, I, I, I don't know how, in a sense, but it's like it liberated me to let go. It liberated me to let go. And today we're talking about deliverance, but what we're doing is forcing deliverance in a sense and I command, demand you to be delivered. Now, there's some things I think God does that with. But there are so many things in life, that's not how God does deliverance. God does deliverance through the enactment of your will, surrendering to Him, and He's been wooing you all along. And why? what we discover is, before I got there, along the process, God has been wrapped around my life, wooing me, wooing me, wooing me, wooing me. And I've been missing it. So, when you see this verse, how do you see this verse? Is it a thermostat or a thermometer? <laughs> Is it a thermostat or a thermometer? And I would say when you look at, a, when you look at something, I can look at uh, something and say I need to be there, but it's revealing how I am right now, the temperature of my life. Or it's a thermostat and it can keep being turned up. You can turn it up. You can turn it up. And church, my brothers and my sisters, every one of us, from pastor on down, all of us need this right now. We need to feel like we can confidently come to God. We need to know that no matter where I am, I can come right in this moment as I am without one plea. I come to you. As I am where I am in this moment. And then there needs to be a principle by which you look at the verses of the Bible and you realize God is not saying later. He's not offering the strength that you need. I've often thought about this. The strength that you need to live the Christian life. The better you is in the presence of God. The better you is in the anointing of Jesus. So Lord, I need your presence to be able to repent well. Like, man, do I love being able to share and confess to God 
the, the struggles of my life and feel wrapped in freedom, wrapped around it. It's a whole different feeling when I'm close to you, Jesus. So I absolutely need you just, just to make the first break in my life. So I'm coming in my weakness expecting you to deliver or else I can't make the next step. And God comes in and then you make the next step. And God continues to do that and unfold it until we're a glorious church. And Wallawa County, you just wait for what happens when the church, Abundant Life Church, starts living this out on a daily basis. You just get ready for what's going to happen. We cannot supply to this county the spiritual need if we have spiritual pravity. We need to be alive and full of God. Every single one of us, all on our own. And when we come together, we've got the light of life just brewing in this place. Then you can bring anybody and you can bring anything into the situation and they're going to experience God. They're going to experience God. So all I can say in this moment is as we take this, these last few next five hours, as we take these next five hours to get closer to Jesus, you're all looking at me like, oh, what? No, I'm just saying as we spend time to truly get closer to Jesus right now, whatever, wherever you're at, I want you, I want all of us to just take the time to invite Jesus in fresh beyond this sermon. The, the sermon is never a cap. The sermon is just a persuasion to move forward. And, and I know that that's not where everybody necessarily is, but I, I want to, as a congregation, invite Jesus in in this moment. Do you want to do that with me? Can we do that together on, on a deeper level? Lord, we're going to the next level, if you will, if you'll take us to the next place. Some of us need to come to the altar. And I'm going to tell you why. Because at the altar, is it's not the location. It's that as you come, you'll feel like I'm actually coming to Jesus over this issue. And when you come, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's a burden of your heart for somebody else. Richard was one of them. If there's somebody in this place that has that, and I would say this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what's really important in this. You don't have a deep burden, but you have a, a little one in the moment. If you will, God will intensify that before you're done here. Not before we're done, before you're done here. God will intensify that burden until you have felt like you prayed the heavens down over their soul. And why am I saying that is because I think, I don't know why oftentimes God doesn't just come in and just navigate around us and get the job done a lot faster. But God gets in our lives and He includes you in it. And the intensity of love that He drops into your spirit before He answers that prayer of yours will make a huge difference in how much you love God and how much you're, uh, how would I say, um, absolutely um, committed and um, the, the thought I'm looking for here just isn't coming. The, the, the idea is that you know that he is absolutely faithful. All of us need a deeper sense of that, no, no matter how, we go, how far we go. So let's pray. I want to pray right now, and I want you to just be led by the Lord in this moment. But the Holy Spirit is taking the trickles in your heart, and he wants to intensify them if you let him. Right here and right now, there's no gap in time as far as he's concerned. We don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit is doing. Father, thank you right now. Right now, Lord, miracles are uh, ready to happen. 
Right now, Jesus, you're waiting on us in a sense. There's a heaven opened for anybody who wants it. Father, I don't know, Lord, uh, how hungry the hearts are this morning, but I do know this, that I know you're able to meet the desire right now. If you're feeling the Holy Spirit called you up front, please do. Please just release yourself to Jesus. There's none of us that are so Christian that we haven't, we've experienced the depth, the fullness of what God can do. If you're sensing God pulling and tugging on your heart, let's just take some time. Come up front, or at least where you're at, just raise your hands to Jesus right now. Raise your hands to Him. Lord, You want to satisfy us. God, You want to satisfy our hungry hearts. Lord, I want to say I'm, I'm on team with my brothers and my sisters right now. And I need You, Lord. I need You deeper than I felt in this whole service. I love what You've been doing. I love what I'm experiencing right now in this moment. But I'm really hungry for You, Jesus. If You're feeling, God... Even in this moment, would you express your desire for Jesus? Let's do this together. Let's be one in asking God in and on our time right now. Lord, I want you. I need you in my heart to come and fill every gap right now, Jesus. Lord, I don't want to leave this room without feeling like the whole world outside of me when I walk out these doors is a completely different place than just in light of my time spent with you. Lord, I'm longing and hungry for you, Jesus. Not as a preacher, but as a, a soul that you and you've given me life and you've given me breath, and I need your life. I need the life that comes from you. I need the virtue of Jesus. And Lord, I will never quit pleading for that to come. So Jesus, would you, as we sing this song, would you melt us down, Lord? Would you fill us, Lord, every part of us that is either void or not even recognizing a void. But God, we need you right now. And we are hungry and urgent for you to come. And we thank you, Lord. We don't have to plea. But Lord, our hearts, Jesus, oftentimes do until we see. So God, we thank you for being right here in this room. We thank you, Lord, for doing miracles, healing in this place in Jesus' name. Father, healings that weren't asked for. Father, struggles, God, deep, deep inner heart struggles changed change right now in Jesus' name. You can walk out of this room more free than you've ever been before in your life. It doesn't require a crowd. It doesn't require anything bigger than just our acknowledgement of the Lord in this moment. Oh, we acknowledge you, Jesus. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You can do all things. And God, no good thing you will with you withhold from those, Lord, who walk uprightly. No good thing. Oh, Jesus, there's a lot more good that's still there. And Father, your word tells us that he... Um, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not? With him, freely. Lord, we don't have to work at this anymore. Freely give us all things. Oh, just respond to Jesus as he's touching your heart. I know he is. I know he is. Let's sing together. Hallelujah.